Thank you for joining us today on the Annex Podcast, hosted and presented by the Building Christian Fellowship. At the building, we build our faith, hope, and love in Jesus by having a real, relevant relationship with Him. And what better way for us to get closer to God than to learn more about Him through His Word? We pray you enjoy this message. I am a little nervous this morning, but I'm more so excited because the Lord has been so faithful. And I can look out in the sanctuary and I can see your faces and I can see that because you're here, God has been faithful. Amen. So pastors John and Kaya obviously are not here and they are actually celebrating their anniversary. Right? All right. Amen. Clap. Yeah. And I'm so thankful for our pastors. So, so thankful for the anointing on their life, their yes. So thankful for their their hearts, for the church. They truly are shepherds um, after God's own heart. So as they are taking some time away to be together, I just pray that they are blessed, refreshed, and strengthened. Amen. Amen. So this morning, I will not be be before you long. Um, But I do have um, a little bit of uh, teaching that I want to share this morning. Um, I am not the teaching pastor. I am just married to him. (laughs) But there are a couple of words that I'd like to talk about this morning with their definition. And the first is sovereignty. And the second is providence. The word providence is not in the Bible, though sovereignty is, providence is not. However, that doesn't mean that the words and their meanings do not run parallel to truth from Scripture. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, all Scripture, all, is breathed and useful for teaching and rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness, training in righteousness. So what does that mean? That means that there is an invitation to search scripture and its meaning. Amen? Amen. The word of God is to be scrutinized. That means that it's supposed to be examined, inspected uh, closely, thoroughly. And so that's what the Lord does for his children. He gives us this invitation to inspect his word. There's this invitation to come close and to read and understand So what that means is that it goes beyond grabbing a pencil and a paper and pulling up a chair and sitting in a classroom. That means that when you leave the classroom, he's with you. Amen? So let's talk about the sovereignty and the providence of God. I'm going to read a few scriptures here. Isaiah 61, 1 says, The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release from darkness for the prisoners. Isaiah 25, 8 through 9 says, He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove his people's disgrace from all the earth. The Lord has spoken. In that day, they will say, surely this is our God. We trusted in him and he saved us. This is the Lord. He trusted. We trusted in him. Let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation. 
Jeremiah 32, 17, 17 says, O sovereign Lord, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. Amen. The sovereignty of God is his supreme power and authority. In other words, God's sovereignty is his right and power to do what he decides to do. The word providence and its meaning can run parallel to the, to the truth from scripture. The word providence comes from the word provide. And provide means to supply what is needed to give sustenance and support. We see this providence in Genesis 22, 7. It says the story of Abraham sacrificing Isaac, his son. Before they went up to the mountain, Isaac said to his father, where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham answered, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And God had shown Abraham a ram caught in thorns, Genesis twenty-two fourteen. Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. We're talking about providence. Jeremiah 22, 22, 33 says, I am God who is everywhere and not in one place only. God has made provision for what he sees, church. I need us to open up our hearts and really see what God is saying here is that his sovereignty is power and his right. And his providence is that he has made provision. He has provided the sustenance. He has provided already what you need before it even happens. The providence of God is absolutely everything that needs to be done to bring about God's purpose. His seeing is always with the view of doing. The sovereignty of God is his supreme power and authority. In other words, God's sovereignty is his right and his power to do all that he decides to do. Amen? Amen. I love how in Colossians chapter 1, verse 16, you can both see God's sovereignty and God's providence in the scripture. It says, for by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, things visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created and existed through him. This is by his activity and for him alone. And he himself existed and is before all things and in him all things hold together. He is the controlling cohesive force of the universe. Amen. What that is saying is that God was before time and he's after it. It means that God is in all of eternity and here on the earth. I don't know about you, but I can find rest, peace, and sustenance knowing that God is who he says he is. And he is where he says he is. And he is almighty. Amen. So this morning, I want to do a little story time, if I can. Just for a few minutes, guys. Just for a few minutes. Um, this story in the Bible, many of us have, have heard. In fact, there was a, uh, um, a children's movie made from it, and the story is the story of Jonah. 
So, yeah, Jonah was played over and over and over in our house. And so I thought, you know what, let me read the scripture. Let me just not teach based off the movie, you know. (laughs) So the story of Jonah. So chapter one reads, the Lord gave this message to Jonah, son of Amittai. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. Announce my judgment against it because I have seen how wicked its people are. But Jonah got up and went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. He went down to the port of Joppa where he found a ship for leaving for Tarshish. He bought a ticket and went on board hoping to escape from the Lord by sailing to Tarshish. Verse 4. But the Lord hurled a powerful wind over the sea causing a violent storm that threatened to break the ship apart. Fearing for their lives, the desperate sailors shouted to their gods for help and threw the cargo overboard to lighten the ship. But all this time, Jonah was sound asleep, down in the hold. So the captain went down after him. How can you sleep at a time like this, he shouted. Get up and pray to your God. Maybe he will pay attention to us and spare our lives. Then the crew cast lots to see which of them had offended the gods and caused the terrible storm. When they did this, the lots identified Jonah as the corporate. Why has this awful storm come down on us? They demanded. Who are you? What is your line of work? What country are you from? What is your nationality? Dude, that sounds like what we're living in right now. Jonah answered, I'm a Hebrew. And I worship the Lord, the God of heaven who made the seas and the land. He's so confident. (laughs) The sailors were terrified when they heard this, for he had already told them he was running away from the Lord. Oh, why did you do it? They groaned. And since the storm was getting worse all the time, they asked him, what should we do to you to stop this storm? Jonah said, throw me into the sea. It will become calm again. Dude, really? I know this terrible storm is all my fault. I hope you guys can kind of hear the attitude in his words. Instead, the sailor rode even harder. The sailors were like, yo, not on my watch. I'm not throwing you. This, your death ain't on me. Instead, the sailors rode even harder to get the ship to the land. But the stormy sea was too violent for them, and they couldn't make it. Then they cried out to the Lord, Jonah's God, O Lord, they pleaded, don't make us die for this man's sin and don't hold us responsible for his death. O Lord, you have sent this storm upon him for your own good reasons. Hmm. Then the sailors picked up Jonah and threw him into the raging sea and the storm stopped at once. The sailors were awestruck by the Lord's great power. And they offered him a sacrifice and vowed to serve him. Here it was. Salvation came in that very moment for these sailors. They had been praying to all sorts of gods. But once they saw the power of God, they went ahead and said, God, Jonah's God. You are God. Now the Lord had arranged for a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights. 
chapter 2. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from inside the fish. He said, I cried out to the Lord in my great trouble, and he answered me. I called to you from the land of the dead, and Lord, you heard me. You threw me into the ocean depths, and I sank down to the heart of the sea. The mighty waters engulfed me. I was buried beneath your wild and stormy waves. Then I said, O Lord, you have driven me from your presence, yet I will look once more towards your holy temple. I sank beneath the waves, and the water closed over me. Seaweed wrapped itself around my head. I sank down to the very roots of the mountains. I was imprisoned in the earth, whose gates locked shut forever. But you, O Lord my God, snatched me from the jaws of death. As my life was slipping away, I remembered the Lord. And my earnest prayers went out to you in your holy temple. Those who worship false gods turn their backs on all God's mercies. But I will offer sacrifices to you with songs of praise, and I will fulfill all my vows, for my salvation comes from the Lord alone. Then the Lord opened, then the Lord ordered the fish to spit Jonah out of the beach. Chapter three. Then the Lord spoke to Jonah a second time Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. And deliver the message I've given to you. This time Jonah obeyed the Lord's command and went to Nineveh, a city so large that it took three days to see it all. On the day Jonah entered the city, he shouted to the crowds, 40 days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. The people of Nineveh believed God's message, and from the greatest to the least, they declared a fast and put on burlap to show their sorrow. When the king of Nineveh heard what Jonah was saying, he stepped down from his throne and took off his royal robes. He dressed himself in burlap and sat on a heap of ashes. Then the king and his nobles sent this degree throughout the city. No one, not even the animals from your herd and flocks, may eat or drink anything at all. People and animals alike must wear garments of mourning, and everyone must pray earnestly to God. They must turn from their evil ways and stop all their violence. Who can tell? Perhaps even yet God will change his mind and hold back his fierce anger from destroying us. Verse 10, when God saw what they had done and how they had put a stop to their evil ways, he changed his mind and did not carry out the destruction he had threatened. Chapter four, we're almost done. This change of plans greatly upset Jonah. And he became very angry. Verse 2. So he complained to the Lord about it. Didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? This is why I ran to Tarshish. I knew that you are a merciful and compassionate God, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. You are eager to turn back from destroying people. Just kill me now, Lord. I'd rather be dead than live alive. I'd rather be dead than alive with what I predicted will not happen. Verse four, the Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry about this? Jonah said, then Jonah went out to the, Jonah didn't say Jonah went. Jonah went out to the east side of the city and made a shelter to sit under as he waited to see what would happen to the city. And the Lord arranged for a leafy plant to grow there and soon it's spread its broad leaves over Jonah's head, shading him from the sun. This eased his comfort, and Jonah was very grateful for the plant. Verse 7, but God also arranged for a worm. The next morning at dawn, the worm ate the stem of the plant so that it withered away. 
And as the sun grew hot, God arranged for a scorching east wind to blow on Jonah. The sun beat down on his head until he grew faint and wished to die. Death is certainly better than living like this, he explained. Then God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry because the plant died? Yes, Jonah retorted, even angry enough to die. Then the Lord said, you feel sorry about the plant, though you did nothing to put it there. It came quickly and died quickly. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness, not to mention all the animals. Shouldn't I feel sorry for such a great city? I don't know if you can hear God's compassion when he said that. What really stood out to me was how God's response to Jonah was so calm, was so consistent. He wasn't moved at Jonah's fit. He wasn't beside himself at Jonah's um, attitude. Jonah, honestly, to me reading this story, was disobedient disrespectful, and he just needed to get a spanking. (laughs) Jonah needed to be sat down. Yeah, Jonah had some issues. So let's recap this real quick, guys. Really want you guys to catch these points. God told Jonah to get up, go to the city of Nineveh, and deliver the message. Jonah went the other way. He went to Tarshish. He bought a ticket. He ran. The cruise ship found out that Jonah was responsible for the storm, threw him into the sea. God had a big fish swallow Jonah. Jonah prayed. The big fish spit Jonah out. Jonah went to Nineveh, delivered the Lord's message. The people believed the word of the Lord, repented, and God changed his mind about destroying the great city of Nineveh. Jonah became wary. Jonah became angry because of God's mercy and asked God to kill him. Jonah went away to watch the city from afar, waiting for God to destroy the city. God arranged a leafy plant to grow to shade Jonah from the sun and a worm to eat the plant. God asked Jonah if it was right for him to be angry because the plant died. Jonah said, yes, angry enough to die. The Lord chastised Jonah about his anger, for he had more concern for the plant dying than the people living in spiritual darkness. Here's the thing. Jonah was disobedient, disrespectful, and he was apathetic. He was unconcerned. He was angry. My first point to this message is there's a bigger picture, and it's the Lord. Have you ever felt like the mission that you were on was too great and the outcome wasn't worth it? I mean, have you ever felt so overwhelmed and felt like, God, this is way too discouraging? Like, this is not at all what I planned. Like, dude, the juice isn't worth the squeeze. Right? So Jonah got up and went the opposite direction. But God, Ephesians 2.10, had good planned long ago. See, there's an unbothered place that comes when the church is indifferent. When we become unbothered and unconcerned about things that don't concern us, we become indifferent. Okay, yeah, I'll pray. Oh, really? Oh, there, that tragedy happened? Okay, I'll pray. 
We hear about stuff, but it doesn't directly affect us. Or maybe, how about this? It does directly affect us, but it's so overwhelming and so consuming that we become wary. Our lack of concern for God's purpose and plan really does show our wickedness. Unbothered with God's mission, unbothered with God's purpose, Jonah slept. This morning, how many of us have felt that same way? How many of us feel like we're sleeping? Inside, right now, how do you... This is, this, isn't a, um, this is like a self-check moment this morning. How many of us have felt like, man, this is, I'm, I'm waiting over my head, God. I know that you brought me to here. I know that I'm in this position because of you. But God, I, I am discouraged. Here's the thing, church. The scheme of the enemy is to overwhelm the church with weariness, indifference, confusion, and obscurity. Weariness comes to push back, overwhelm, and exhaust the people of God from seeing the sovereignty of God all around them. The fact that God is still in control, the fact that you are breathing right now, the fact that God is working on the behalf of your good for his glory is enough to praise him. The advantage of the pushback is to wear you out. Wear you out of what? No, I'm glad you asked. <laughs> Wear you out of your faith, your hope, and your love. Isaiah 46, 9 through 10 says, Remember carefully the former things which I did from ages past. For I am God, and there is no one else. I am God, and there is no one like me, declaring the end and the result from the beginning. And the ancient times the things which have not yet been done, saying, my purpose will be established and I will do all that pleases me and fulfills my purpose. Too many of us have been guilty of walking around like Jesus is a genie in a bottle. Like, Lord, I've been praying. Lord, I've been interceding. God, I've been giving. God, I've been X, Y, and Z. And still... Nothing? God says, I do what pleases me. And I do what fulfills my purpose. Why? Because I have a plan. And you're a part of it. God's sovereignty is the bigger picture, church. He knows the end from the beginning. Ephesians 2.10. He planned for us to do good things long ago. He knows. He's in it. So listen, there is always a bigger picture and there is strategy for the battle. Look at somebody and tell them bigger picture. Bigger picture. Saints, there's a bigger picture. My second point is the strategy is the Lord's. Jonah was angry. Jonah was overwhelmed. And I think from reading his reactions and, and his him and the Lord corresponding together, I could almost sense that he was overwhelmed with maybe the physical aspect of walking through Nineveh for three days. I mean, if you can picture Nineveh, um, Nineveh was a place in the book of Neham, Neham uh, I said that wrong, but it's a, it's a book in the Bible, okay? And in that book, the chapters is a short book. It's all about the evil and the, 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 
the um, deception and the idolatry of this city. And so I can picture Jonah walking through Nineveh for three days. Him picturing that and him being overwhelmed by what he would see, what he would hear, and what he could feel in that city. It was almost like Jonah walking through the streets was infuriated to even be there. God's sovereignty and providence was not on Jonah's radar at all. Jonah knew within Nineveh, Jonah knew that the sin in Nineveh was beyond human help. Nineveh was sin city. So instead of partnering with God's mercy and prayer, he partnered with God's judgment. Look to your weapon, look to your neighbor and say, pick up your weapon of warfare. Come on, pick up your weapon of warfare. Listen, our weapon of warfare is our prayer life. Our weapon of warfare is our prayer life. Our prayer life has everything to do with how we love God. Jeremiah 29, 10 says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. God has perfect strategy and foresight. See, the mission was Nineveh, but the purpose was the Lord's. Listen, anything found in Scripture that drives back the powers of darkness defeats our spiritual enemies and establishes the kingdom of heaven here on earth is a weapon of warfare. Let me read that again. Anything found in Scripture that drives back the powers of darkness defeats our spiritual enemies and establishes the kingdom of heaven here on earth is a weapon of warfare. When we intentionally use these simple weapons, it activates things in the spiritual realm that cannot be accessed any other way. The posture of our heart is seen in our prayer life. Prayer is our lifeline to the kingdom of God. Your prayers should change you. If you're not praying, you're not changing. Knowing the state of our heart has a great deal to do with the posture of our heart in prayer. Here's the thing about Jonah. Jonah went and did what the Lord had told him to do, right? He was on mission. But Jonah, failed, failed, his failure was to remember the testimony of mercy on his life. And it caused him to miss the true target of his anger. And he became wary of God's sovereignty and it costed him his joy in the Lord. 2 Corinthians 10.3 says, For though we walk in the flesh as mortal men, we are not carrying on our spiritual warfare according to the flesh and using the weapons of man. Your prayer life is your spiritual weapon of warfare. The strategy is the Lord's. My third and last point is the outcome belongs to the Lord. 2 Corinthians 4.1 says, Therefore, since we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we do not lose heart. We do not lose heart. I want to share a, a testimony, if I can. Um, there's a picture that I gave Jackie. Let me get out of the way. So here's this picture um, of me with our three children. In that picture, I... Our twins are about 
not even a year and a half yet. And our oldest just turned four. And in that picture, I am angry. <laughs> I don't know if you can see it on my face, but I'm angry. This picture is in our living room. And every time I see it, I remember that season of my life. That season was really hard. I had twins. They were all under the age of four. I was pregnant with our last one. I was a stay-at-home mom. I didn't sign up for none of that. <laughs> there was a time when I was working for this corporate business place, and one of the ladies there gave me a book. And she was a God-fearing woman, and this book was called How to Have a Supernatural Childbirth by Jackie Myers. I'm like, what is this? I'm not having kids. I'm having dogs. That was my thing. <laughs> I loved dogs. I had a dog, a Rottweiler, and so growing up, I thought, you know, yeah, I'd like to, you know, you know, when you're young, you have a plan, right? You have a plan. You're going to work. You're going to get your, you're going to make money. You're going to have your own house. You're going to be successful, and I'll have a dog. Well, that wasn't what happened. And I remember being uh, just really overwhelmed. I remember it was really hard. And I mean, I had cried so many tears during that season. And there was this one particular day, uh, Donald had came home from work and I was sitting on the couch and he looked at me and I was so angry I couldn't cry. I was so angry. I, how many of you can recall a time in your life when you were so angry that you couldn't cry. I felt like what I was been dealt with was unfair. I felt that I had no other option or other choices. This was my life. So Donald comes home and he looks at me and I'm angry and he sits down and I tell him how angry I am and I confess to him about how I had envisioned of hurting one of our kids. I'm just being transparent here. So I just told him, I said, hey, I literally had a vision of like hurting one of them. And I didn't feel bad about it. And he looked at me and he did what Matthew 18, 18 says. He's prayed over me. And he did the binding and the loosing. And I'll never forget his words because I had them written down to hold into my heart. He said, God, I bind and break off of Raquel what is wicked and evil in your sight, that she'd give her anger to you. Here's the thing. There are things being played out right now from that moment with God that I can never take credit for. In that moment, literally, there was an experience with the Lord that I can't even convey to you. The Lord literally came and saved me. The Lord literally came and gave me vision. The Lord literally came and changed my heart and gave me what his heart was for my family in that moment. And that's what I'm talking about, spiritual warfare. We have spiritual warfare, which is praying. Thanksgiving, singing, worshiping, 
Giving is spiritual warfare. Forgiving is spiritual warfare. Come on. We don't have just a few spiritual warfare. We have an array of them that come from the kingdom of God. But how many of us only use a few of them daily? God's children do not have, God's children do not have a throw in the towel mentality. We don't surrender to the pushback of the enemy. We surrender to the Lord. Our declaration is Psalms 34, 4. I sought the Lord on the authority of his word and he answered me. My faith and trust is in the Lord and facts do not undermine the promises of God. When what we're seeing or feeling naturally isn't matching what we're praying for spiritually, I still trust and I still believe. Mercy is such an important ingredient to not losing heart. I can pray God's prayers for people, nations, and churches when I don't have a judgmental heart. See, Jonah, he hated sin because God hated sin. But when we hate what God hates, we must love what God loves. C.S. Lewis says, anger is the fluid that bleed that, sorry, anger is the fluid that loves bleeds when it cut, gets cut. Let me read that again. Anger is the fluid that love bleeds when it gets cut. Listen. What that's saying is God's anger is meant to elicit a response from us. When we see sin, when we see evil, the anger we feel should drive us to action. Romans 12, 9 says, let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. How interesting that the very first instruction to demonstrate genuine love is to hate what is evil. It's ungodly to be apathetic. It is unloving to not be angry in the face of evil. Mere sympathy towards the oppressed isn't enough. If I found out that one of my children had been violated, I would be filled with intense grief and anger. And it would be a righteous response. If I wasn't angry, there would be good reason to question the depth of my love. Do you guys see that? And that's God's love for his church. That's God's love for his people. Second Peter 3, 9 says, the Lord is not slack concerning his promises as some count slackness, but is long suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Listen, relationship has always been God's plan. Repentance heals broken Sorry, repentance heals what's broken in connection. Hear me, repentance heals what's broken in connection. God's sovereignty and providence is the big picture. He sees the entire frame. While we view life through a window, he has the entire street view. His sovereignty is when he decides to do a thing, he does it. And no one can stop him. He's the author of our lives, and he knows where he wants to take us. While we may be concerned with our comforts, 
His primary focus is on our soul and the souls of those within our sphere of influence. Reading Jonah, all of the chapters, really gave me a different perspective this time around because I could see how intentional God was. I could see how God didn't or wasn't moved by Jonah's rebellion. He didn't change his mind about Jonah. God stayed the same. And it made me think of how God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that's the promise that we keep within us every single day. God doesn't change. Situations may change. Out the, 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 the things that we're, we're doing may change or things that happen to us that are out of our control may change. But God never changes. Listen, people's rebellion and disobedience is not the picture to get fixated on. There's a bigger picture to... to uh, a bigger picture at stake, and it's the righteousness of God. So don't get sidetracked, church. In closing, Psalms 37, 8 says, stop being angry. Turn from your rage. Do not lose your temper. It only leads to harm. Another scripture says, man's anger is not the righteousness of God. This morning, what I'm really trying to convey and what God has really put on my heart is the anger, the disappointment that you're facing, that you're feeling. God wants to still do something great in your situation. This season is just a part of your story. It's just a part of your story. God's plan, his sovereignty, and his providence is around us. It's, we're living in it right in this moment. One of the weapons of warfare that we have is thankfulness. One of the weapons that we have is gratitude. But it's so easy to get caught up in what we see and what we feel and what we're hearing. This morning, I hear the invitation from the Lord, and I want to extend it to you, church. Whatever you're holding on to right now, whatever is weighing you down, whatever is making you wary, the altar is open. Listen, there's an invitation this morning between you and the Lord the Lord of hosts. And he wants to give you the strength that you need. He wants to give you the peace that you need. He wants to give you the love that you need because his love is eternal. Our love, our love is conditional. Sometimes we lose sight of how often God has given us the invitation into his presence. So right now, if we could dim the lights. If right now, if we could just take a moment. If the Lord is drawing your heart right now and, and he's saying right now, this is a moment for you and I. The altars are open. 
Whatever we don't surrender, we decide to hold on to. It's so important that when we have the invitation of the Lord, that we respond immediately. Because there is a work happening. There's a work of darkness and there's a work of eternity happening. And God is at work constantly. In fact, God is here right now in this place to heal, to restore, to deliver, to strengthen your heart. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. My prayer this morning is that God would remind us that his spirit is living within you, empowering you to overcome, strengthening you for what's ahead. Why? Because he's already there. It may look weary. It may look difficult. But God is the strength of your life. God is the strength of your life. And his love has brought action on the behalf of us. Amen? Jesus, we thank you for who you are. God, right now, we just want to say, God, have your way. God, I pray right now, Lord, for every single person that is in your house, God. I pray, Lord, that you are speaking to their heart, Lord. God, that you are giving understanding. God, that you are healing every broken place in their heart, God. Every place, Lord, where they feel like they've drifted away. Every place, God, where they've edged you out. Every place, God, where they thought that their situation was greater than who you are. God, I pray right now, Lord, that you would come and you would give them your love, your peace, your strength. God, I thank you for your plan and your purpose for it's greater than circumstances God I thank you Lord that your sovereignty and your providence God is all around us God and we will not be indifferent to it God we will not be unthankful God God we will thank you for who you are you are the author and the creator of all the world Lord we thank you for who you are God Lord we pray Lord that your kingdom come and your will be done in our hearts God Lord, we know that our hearts are deceitfully wicked. And there is no good thing in us apart from you. So God, this morning we ask you and we bring you our hearts and we repent for being angry. We repent for being confused and staying in a place where we're just weary. God, we thank you for your power. We thank you for your love. And we thank you for your goodness this morning. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Lord, I thank you for your promises. Lord, I thank you for the reminder this morning that you are everywhere. And you are in everything. I'm going to end this morning, but the altars are open. If you're feeling...
there's a moment between you and the Lord, take the opportunity this morning to come and respond. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. That's all the time we have for this episode of the Annex Podcast. But we encourage you to get connected with us by downloading and using our TBCF app today. Or you can visit our website at tbcf.life. That's tbcf.life. Until next time, thanks for stopping by to the Annex Podcast.